Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Welcome to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast your one-stop shop for all the myths, legends, stories, and yarns about the world's most popular tabletop role-playing game. My name is Sergio, and I will be your lore master for the evening. We have quite a show for you planned. In addition to the lore topic, we will also announce the winner of the D&D Lorecast raffle, benefiting the Critical Role Foundation during the middle of the show, as well as usual uh, spotlighting some awesome homebrew content from the DMs Guild. We will also cover the newly announced Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught board game, set for release at the beginning of next year. And of course, we will end our time together with another magic item of the week. So starting in February of 2022, and then going through the end of March, the D&D Lorecast covered the Ravenloft campaign setting in a four-part series. The first part, episode 92, covered the history of the setting from its beginnings as a simple yet brilliantly executed adventure module in the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons to the fifth edition adaptation found in both the Curse of Strahd campaign and the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft supplement. The second part, episode 94, covered Rudolph Van Richten himself as we told his tragic story of a simple doctor and father turned infamous monster hunter. And then the third part in episode 95 covered other domains of dread besides Barovia and the final installment, episode 97, focused on the Dark Lord of Barovia himself, Strahd von Zarovich. And we felt we were pretty exhaustive, and, but yet we had one question raised more than once. What about Lord Soth and his domain of dread, Scythicus? Well, there were unfortunately um, some things that were left out, including that character in that domain of dread they were left on the cutting room floor due to time constraints and also the fact that they didn't or or rather haven't ended up in fifth edition but we always wanted to come back at some point to cover them and that point in time is now dear listener but but why now why now well Scythicus is obviously closely tied to the character lord soth who finds his origins in the dragonlance campaign setting which of course is finally making its first appearance in fifth edition at the end of 2022. So Lord Soth began in Dragonlance, was then shuffled over to Ravenloft before returning to his original campaign setting. 
this is the official reason why Soth didn't appear in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and assumingly why Sithicus did not either. So does the reintroduction of Dragonlance mean we might also see the Domain of Dread return? If that is so, the Dungeons & Dragons lore cast has you covered, locked and loaded to bring you all the juicy lore. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. Let's begin with Lord Soth's history in Kryn, and we will cover his lordship over Sithicus as well as the domain of dread of the domain of dread itself after the middle of the show. So, as previously stated, Lord Soth finds his origins in the Dragonlance realm, created by Tracy and Laura Hickman, who coincidentally enough also wrote the original Ravenloft adventure. So, the couple created Dragonlance, and soon enough thanks to the novels co-written with Margaret Weiss, the franchise became one of TSR's most popular. And Lord Soth was one of the most popular characters in one of the most popular franchises. Born Lord Lauren Soth to Ankel Soth and an unnamed woman, he was a child of privilege, having been born to one of the ruling houses of Salamnia since the nation's founding. So he's bit of a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, he soon came to fame among the Knights of Salamnia, even being named among the Knights of the Rose, considered the most prestigious branch of the Knights of Salamnia. Think uh, like Army Rangers or Top Gun Pilots or Green Berets, uh, Navy Seals sort of thing. The Rose Knights provided leaders, lawgivers, and exemplars to the Salamnic Knights and the world guiding others on the path of honor by word and deed alike. So Soth being a member of these ranks isn't something to take lightly, which makes his eventual fall from grace all the more devastating. And he definitely looked the part of a knight. As an adult, Lord Soth was a, uh, was a tall man around six foot five inches or nearly 200 centimeters and heavy boned with a square, draw, with a square jaw prominent brow and high cheekbones. Uh, he had deep set and piercing steel gray eyes and thick black hair that hung down over his shoulders in curls. I'm getting personally, I like, I, I envision like a, like a dark haired Chris Hemsworth I'm getting Chris. I'm getting Thor vibes from this description. Uh, he was elevated uh, to the rank of knight uh, after a series of heroic deeds or knight of the rose after a series of heroic deeds uh, first, he was responsible for rescuing a pair of knights who had been captured by ogres. He also escorted a caravan of religious pilgrims en route to pray in the temple of the king priest. This in itself isn't all that heroic, except for the fact that the caravan was attacked and Soth managed to kill four ogres and a minotaur by himself with no harm coming to any of the pilgrims, to the common folk. He also saved a small boy from a burning cottage and was able to bring him back to Dargard Keep for healing. And finally, he defended a lady's honor, a lady of Salamnia, uh, when uh, her former suitor cast doubt on her chastity. So all in all, like some fairly traditional knightly deeds. Uh, so it should come as no surprise that he was eventually accepted as a Knight of the Rose. And with this honor came full plate, uh, full plate male armor, shining white with intricate carvings of kingfishers and roses. Now, what comes next uh, is a bit confusing 
since there are essentially two versions of a, of a fairly similar story. Uh, one version that's found in the World of Kryn adventure from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition states that Soth married somebody, a woman named Lady Corin of Palanthus. He accepted the command of the aforementioned Dargard Keep in order to escape the court intrigues that surrounded his new bride's royal family. Uh, essentially, Soth was not one for all the politicking and drama. So he hunkers down in Dargard Keep and rules over Nightland, which is traditionally the Soth family's realm or territory or fief. It's kind of like, you know, what, what they're in charge of uh, that area. And he was unable to give, uh, however, she was unable to give uh, him a child. She was unable to conceive and was eventually killed by an assassin that Soth secretly hired. Now, a variant of this version also states that Lady Corinne did, in fact, become pregnant with the help of a witch's magic, uh, with the caveat being that the child would be a physical representation of Soth's soul. Now, when Lady Corinne eventually gives birth to an abomination, Soth assumes his wife consorted with a demon and kills both her and the child. He is later brought up on charges, but manages to convince the court of high justice that his wife, along with the newborn, actually died in childbirth. Now, the second version of this, of this story, which can be found in the Ravenloft adventure, When Black Roses Bloom, is, like I said, very similar in general terms, but some of the details differ. For example, uh, Soth's first wife is Lady Gladria of Calaman, and their marriage was simply one of political convenience. And while on a mission far to the east, Soth, an intensely passionate man he's described as, met and fell in love with a beautiful elf maiden cleric named Isolde Denisa. They met when Soth and his knights, en route to the annual meeting of the Knights of Salamnia, came upon a, par a party of Sylvansti elves who were being attacked by ogres. Real bad ogre problem in Kryn, it seems like. Either way, the ogres are slaughtered, the elves are saved, and Soth begins making goo-goo eyes at Azolda Denisa. He must have slipped his wedding band off his finger because the elf is none the wiser that this knight is married. So she becomes pretty smitten by him as well. He promises to come back and return for her soon. And note in the first version of the story, Azolda returns to Dargard with Soth in order to quote, heal from her wounds. Old boy essentially moves his side piece into his and his wife's house. That's pretty scandalous. So, but in the second version, uh, Soth returns to Dargar Keep by himself and immediately begins scheming on how to get rid of his wife. So Lord Soth commits the ultimate sin. He orders Karadok, his senshal, uh, think like a, like a right-hand man, a steward or a major domo of a house to murder Lady Gladria. Uh, what should have been a bed of love turned into a deathbed. Blood on her bedclothes showed that murder had been done. However, her body was never recovered. So in the first version, he marries one woman. Uh, she can't, uh, he falls in love. He still, he still falls in love with this elf maiden, Isolde. 
but also because his first wife can't conceive a child or possibly conceived what he thought was a demon child, uh, he has her murdered. And in a second version, he's married to a, a different woman who it's basically a marriage of for show, you know, it's sort of like, you know, like old school, like marriage, like political marriages, you know, the princess of Spain will marry the prince of France and they, you know, allegiances are tied together. Um, he falls in love with Isolde and has, again, has his wife murdered. So here's where the two versions pretty much converge and become the same, more or less. So both assert that Soth moves on quickly, a little too quickly for the taste of some. I mean, his, mar his marriage, his wife has uh, just died uh, under mysterious circumstances in either version. And yet he marries Isolde very quickly and she is soon carrying the knight's child through prayers she learns of an upcoming disaster one of her gods told her that uh that one one that her gods told her could be prevented soth becomes convinced that he can redeem himself of his past sins by helping prevent this event and rides off to find the rod of omniscient wisdom in order to deliver it to the king priest of istar and he believes that this will prevent this, uh, this disaster from taking place. However, he becomes convinced Azolda uh, is much how he treated his first wife, being unfaithful to him. Infuriated, Lord Soth rode home to confront his wife with her imagined crimes. At the same moment that he raised his mailed fist to her, the king priest of Istar raised his voice to the heavens, the furious gods hurled a mountain at the city and hurled holy fire at Dargard Keep. Now, this is what is known in Dragonlance history and Dragonlance lore as the Cataclysm. Even as she was consumed by flames, Lady Isolde begged her husband to save the life of their newborn son. But Lord Soth turned away and lost his wife, his son, his life, and his spirit that day. Before Isolde passed away, however, she curses her husband that he, quote, shall live the lifetime of every soul that you have caused death today. This curse also turned Lord Soth's 13 loyal knights into skeletal warriors and the Rose Knight himself into a death knight, his once shining white armor turned into an ashen black. So for over three centuries, Soth sat on his throne in Dargard Keep until once again, he became obsessed with the woman. He became involved militarily with Kitiara Uth Matar, a blue dragon high lord and a general in the service of the evil goddess Tachesis during the War of the Lance. Tachesis approached Soth about assisting her armies and he said he would only serve alongside a general who had enough courage and strength to survive one night in Dargard Keep. Kitiara, also known as the Blue Lady, was the only dragon high blood willing to even accept the challenge, and thus her and Soth's partnership began. Lord Soth would soon prove an invaluable ally to Kitiara, saving her life on at least one occasion while also successfully kidnapping a general of the opposing army, an elf by the name of Lorana. 
Soth soon became obsessed with Lorana, whose radiant elven beauty reminded him so much of Isolde. Soth entered into a conspiracy with Kitiara where he would, uh, he would help her become emperor in exchange for Takesis granting him control of Lorana's soul, who would then have to suffer in undeath with him for all of eternity. This plan, unfortunately for Soth, and unfortunately for everyone else involved, it seems like, uh, fell apart. And uh, several years later, he found himself once again working with Katara during the Blue Ladies' War. Uh, now, now once again obsessed with Kitiara, Soth devises a plan to trap her soul and turn her into his undead co uh, consort. But before his plans could be completed, Soth was betrayed by Karadok, his former senshal, uh, who is now a ghost. He became a ghost after the cataclysm. And the two, while locked in battle, were drawn into Ravenloft by the mists. Which brings us to the domains of dread, including Barovia and, of course, Scythicus. Uh, but before we traverse through the myths ourselves, let's take a quick break for the middle of the show so that we can do the usual, thanking patrons, DMs Guild, uh, Spotlight of the Week, all that, plus announce the winner of the Dungeons & Dragons raffle benefiting the Critical Role Foundation. Welcome to the middle of the show. We have a lot to cover this time out, so let's not waste any time. First and foremost, we want to thank our patrons. We thank them during the middle of the show, especially our newest patron, Jack. Thank you so much for supporting the show in this way. It allows us to get bigger and better as we continue to grow and develop new ideas and projects. If you are interested in becoming a patron, head on down to patreon.com slash dndlorecast, where you will find four different levels ranging from $5 to $75 that will get you early ad-free episodes, uh, bonus content, D&D lorecast merchandise, and so much more. And of course, if you are not in a position to join the Patreon, but still want to support the show, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify definitely help as well. Uh, as well as word of mouth. Let someone you think might be interested in what we have to offer uh, know about the D&D Lorecast. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, that's at D&D Lorecast. And also join the Robots Radio Network Discord. We've got our own channel there where you can talk with other fellow dice-obsessed, mimic-wary adventurers such as yourself. Next up, uh, this was announced a couple of months ago, but our old friend Lupus Malum brought it up during last week's patron roundtable as something he is looking forward to in the next several months. Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught is a competitive skirmish board game in which each player controls an adventuring party from one of the powerful factions of the Forgotten Realms. Pretty much it is the latest D&D board game. Wizards has released uh, several of these board games, including uh, ones based on Temple of Elemental Evil and Tomb of Annihilation, those are super dope and a lot of fun. But it seems like Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught takes the D&D board game to a whole new level. It comes with everything needed to play, obviously, 
including a double-sided board game, four D20s, uh, 71 tokens, a lot more, plus, plus 21 fully painted miniatures. You can pre-order the game at dndmini.com and it will, it will set you back nearly 150 bucks, which is steep until you consider the aforementioned 21 fully painted miniatures. The description mentions an adventuring party from powerful factions of Forgotten Realms. Expansions will be released in the future, but the game comes pre-packaged with two groups, the Harpers and the Zentarim, totaling 12 characters. So there's six in each group. In addition to those 12 minis, the other nine minis are creatures, including a brutal-looking two-headed troll, as well as a fully-formed adult black dragon. It's set to release in January of next year, so this could easily be a late holiday gift, or perhaps you could use some of that gifted cash or gift cards to pick it up. Either way, the minis look incredible, and this seems like it is a perfect way to scratch that D&D itch in between sessions or when you can only find one other person who wants to play D&D with you. So take a look for yourself. We have links in the show notes, of course, which brings us to our DMs Guild Spotlight of the Week. Now, if there's one thing I love about D&D, it's homebrew. Like as we stated previously, Scythicus, as of right now, has not made its way to, to official fifth edition canon. This isn't to say it will never do that. It'll never show up in, in 5e. But then again, there are no guarantees until wizards themselves make an official announcement. It's sometimes hard to gauge you know, what they will do next. I mean, who would have expected Dark Sun to make a comeback in fourth edition or then, and then to have Spelljammer finally return in fifth edition. Regardless, whatever official content wizards may or may not release matters not to the homebrewer. And as such, this week, we shine the DM's Guild Spotlight on the Ravenloth Gazetteer Scythicus brought to us by Oliver Darkshire and Kat Evans. They usher Scythicus into the fifth edition era with the Ravenloft Gazetteer, which follows the mysterious S as she travels the mistways and explores the domain of dread, providing new villains, new locations, and new stories to alarm and distress even the hardiest of characters. So what does this PDF contain? This is a 69-page document that revives and completes the domain of Scythicus with towns, encounters, and monsters themed around the Death Knight Lord Soth and his unwillingness to face the truth of his own past. Several towns available to be explored are included, as well as an updated Nedragard Keep, which we will discuss at the, after the break, plus stat blocks for several creatures, including Lord Soth himself, as well as several new magic items. So if the lore presented in this episode gives you the urge to include Scythicus in your current 5e campaign, don't let Wizards' lack of official content stop you. Pop on over to dmsguild.com and pick up this incredible work for only $12.95 and let the creepy times roll. Of course, a link in the show notes. And finally, it is now time to announce the winner of the first Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast Raffle, which benefits the Critical Role Foundation, an awesome nonprofit charity started by Matt Mercer and his group of nerdy voice actors. 
Thank you so much for everyone who supported the raffle, uh, bought tickets, retweeted on Twitter. It is thanks to you that we are that we were able to raise $340 to help such a noble cause. That being said, many of you helped, but we can only have one winner, unfortunately. And that winner is, imagine a drum roll at this point. I would do it, but I don't know how terrible it'll sound if I just bang on my desk. Winner is Daniel Palaleo. Daniel, if you, uh, if you have, if we have not reached out to you by the time you hear this, please shoot us an email over at dndlorecast at gmail.com so we may arrange shipment of your brand new copies of Volo's Guide to Monsters, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, and of course, the core rulebook slipcase edition with the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual along with the DM screen. Thank you once again to everyone who helped and congratulations to Daniel for winning. Uh, you all helped make the raffle a complete success. And I, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of, of the community that we fostered here that we were able to raise so much money for such a great cause. And, and we're definitely looking to continue doing stuff like this in the future. You know, we want to definitely uplift the D&D and uh, tabletop role-playing game community in general up rather than bringing them down um the future the future is bright for our beloved games so let's let's stay on the right path and with that let's return to the show (laughs) welcome back to the show so we've discussed lord soth's history his infidelity his Oryx aside, his betrayals, and now he finds himself in a strange new, not even land, but entirely new world, seemingly. So what does the Death Knight get into once he is drawn in by the mists? So when Soth and Caradoc were plucked from the planet of Kryn in the realm of Dragonlance, Caradoc had just betrayed his his former master, and they were locked in battle. Once they rematerialized in what they would soon discover was Barovia, they were immediately set upon by several zombies, minions of none other than Count Strahd von Zarovich. Soth managed to kill the zombies, but in the fracas, Kerdok managed to slip away. It wasn't long before Soth came upon a Vistani camp, that of the Kolchevik family. Magda was the matron of this family. Her grandmother was the Rani, and her daughter was named Inza. This seemingly chance encounter, but is anything really left a chance when the mists are involved? Would this would have major repercussions in the future for all of these individuals? Soth approaches the camp seeking information, information about the land, its ruler, just how in the heck he got here. But keep in mind, as brave and proud as Soth was, he went from being somewhere that he knew his entire life to a place that you know he had never been before. Not only had he never been there, he had never even heard of it. So he's understandably on edge. So it comes as no surprise that he and the Rani of the Kolchevik family that is the woman exhibiting the most skill in the Vistani practice of the site, 
They came to have harsh words and eventually violence. Soth began destroying the camp, setting it on fire and causing the death of the Rani, who manages to place her curse on Soth before she passes. Soth kills several more Vistani as he retreats from the camp and also kidnaps Madga on his way out. She would come to act as his unwilling guide as he traveled through Barovia, eventually ending up on the steps of Castle Ravenloft itself. So now we have it. Strahd, Soth, the immovable object, meets the unstoppable force. The Dark Lord of Barovia versus the Black Rose Knight. Strahd uh, manages uh, to placate Soth by declaring all the lives of the Kolchevik clan being forfeit due to their treatment of the knight. This piece, however, was short-lived. I mean, you just can't have two egomaniacal jerks in the same room. They, you know, they, they both desire to be the most diabolical, the most cunning, the most genius, the most everything. And so Soth and Magda have to eventually escape Castle Ravenloft with their lives. Soon after, Soth becomes acquainted with a fellow known as Azrael Dak, a dwarven were-badger. Uh, he too would also prove pivotal in the future of not only Soth, but Scythicus itself. It is with Azrael Soth uh, that Soth undertakes a quest to escape from this land. He's put up to it by Strahd himself, who manages to convince Soth of doing this instead of fighting him. He's like, hey, you can fight me all you want, sure, but that's not going to get you out of here. But if you do this, you then you'll be able to go home. During this journey, uh, Magda manages to escape. And by the end of it, Soth realizes that he was fooled and by, by Strahd, and he was essentially running in circles. And he was, to say the least, not happy. He, along with Azrael, start essentially rampaging through Barovia and actually amass themselves a little army. And they march onto, they march toward and on Castle Ravenloft. But before they're able to confront Strahd, however, the vampire distracts his would-be attackers by banishing none other than Caradoc, who he had previously given refuge to. And so as a distraction, he Strahd, you know, sends Caradoc away. And in trying to slip away unnoticed, Soth and Azrael track down the former Senshal, and Soth begins to take great pleasure in choking the life out of his former assistant. Soth, so absorbed in torturing Caradoc, did not notice the mists once again enveloping him. He somehow found himself back in what appeared to be Dargard Keep. He saw his former wife, Isolde, and himself, how but an uncorrupted version of himself, like a version of what could have been an idealized version. Soth was given the opportunity to repent to the gods of Kryn and reclaim the life he once lost. Instead, he lashed out and struck down the vision of his wife and attacked the idealized version of himself. During this struggle, Soth and Isolde's son, or rather a vision of the son who never got to be, who never got to grow up, appeared. And in attempting to save the life of the idealized version of his father was struck down by Soth and killed for a second time, really. He was killed by his actual father. This heinous act 
was all the mist needed to fully claim Soth and make him the dark lord of the domain of dread known as Scythicus. And while ruling this realm, he was constantly reminded of his failures on Kryn. The dark powers recreated um, Dargard Keep, but however, it was an inverse grim mockery of his former home, which was known as Nedregard Keep. It constantly changed size and shape so that he could not maintain the sheer military order to which he was accustomed. Additionally, the shade of Kitiara would sporadically appear in Scythicus, reminding Soth of that which he could never have. So for 20 years, Soth ruled his dark realm and was even able to battle back its denizens in a long, protracted, bloody civil war. It is also during this time Soth creates the Kender Vampire. Now, Kenders are essentially the halflings of the Dragonlance realm. However, these Kender Vampires, they look just like normal Kenders, except their skin is pale and withered. They obviously have sharp vampire fangs, and their nails look like claws. They talk in hissing whispers and move more slowly and stiffly. They serve Lord Soth, obviously, even though they despise him. So it's, uh, once again, even his own creations, like he can't get them to love him. Um, but yeah, Kender vampires are super spooky. And uh, so yeah, definitely you can use them in a campaign, in a horror campaign, or it's just something to, to creep out the party for sure. So for two decades, uh, or, but after two decades, Soth... Uh, his interest in his domain begins to peter out and wane. He is rarely seen outside of Nedregard Keep, only emerging periodically to settle an old debt, like when Magda reemerges in Scythicus, or to squash a new foe like the illusionist uh, Tindaphilus. However, he stays out of the public eye so much that he's actually like rumored to be dead. But really, he had just become obsessed with this. Uh, invention known as a mirror uh, memory mirror which was created by the aforementioned illusionist which allows Soth to look into and relive parts of his life it is during this period of inactivity that Azrael Dak Soth's right-hand man begins to make moves in order to rule Scythicus himself within a few years with no one really standing in his way Azrael became essentially the de facto ruler of the Domain of Dread. Even the destruction of the memory mirrors could not draw Soth's attention back to his realm for very long. And it was at this point, Azrael decides to strike. He aligns himself with Magda's daughter, Inza, remember her, and a gentleman known as Malokio Adair to kill both Soth and Magda with the end goal being the conquering of Scythicus. The conspiracy came to a head in what is known as the hour or night of screaming shadows. Azrael Dak unleashed an unholy ritual to gain control of every shadow in Scythicus, while a figure known as the White Rose, thought by Soth to be Kitiana, arranged a series of events that would bring about Soth's time of judgment. Soth and his army were distracted by Adair's forces 
and under the guise of assistance, Inza directed Soth's attention against the traitor Azrael. In Soth's absence, uh, Inza was able to erect a ward to hedge out Soth's undead minions. However, Soth was made aware of Inza's scheme and broke away from his chance to foil yet another disaster like the cataclysm before on Kryn in order to pursue personal vengeance. His unbridled fury allowed him to break through Inza's wards and he confronted her. Meanwhile, Azrael Dak uh, is poisoned while performing his ritual and the disruption causes all of the captured shadows to rip free from his control and coalesce into a giant ball. The ball rose into the sky and plummeted down like a fiery ball upon Nedrigard Keep. So like Dragard Keep centuries before, Nedrigard Keep was set ablaze. Still, Inza and Soth were unharmed in the main hall of the keep where Soth was set to deliver the killing blow. This is when the White Rose stepped in, but it was not Kitiara who Soth suspected, but instead it was Isolde, Denisa, Soth's long-dead wife. She had come to remind Soth of the curse she gave him and to deliver him the judgment he had thought he could escape. She conjured a spectral version of their child and Soth repeated history, turning away from him again in the midst of tragedy. Having finally come face to face with his ax, Soth was taken from Scythicus and Inza became Dark Lord in his place. So now let's discuss Scythicus, the domain of dread itself. Uh, most of these demiplanes are cruel reminders of the sins committed by its respective Dark Lord in their previous life an ironic punishment suited for the heinous crimes, and Scythicus is no different. In the elven tongue, Scythicus translates to the land of specters, which is not surprising as the entire domain of dread acts as somewhat of a spectral version of Soth's true home. Scythicus is unique in that it is inhabited primarily by elves, whereas the other demiplanes are mostly human with smaller percentages of other races mixed in. This is too in keeping with the tendency of the domains of dread to be cruel, ironic reminders of their Dark Lord's past sins, as Soth has a deep-seated hatred of elven folk. The land of Scythicus lies in the southwest region, east of Valachan and south of Barovia and Invidia. The terrain is thickly forested with many rifts and small cliffs. The lowlands are filled with bubbling springs and shallow pools, and there are three major mountain ranges, the Disappearing Mountains in the southwest, the Mistop Mountains in the southeast, and Border Edge Mountains in the northeast. It is a land of ancient forests where the dense leafy boughs above blot out the sun. The wilds are overgrown and treacherous, reeking constantly of wet decay and sickly sweet resin. Patches of briars and nettles from dense snarls, and the forest floor is sit slick with rotting leaves and moss. Mottled ivy and gray ferns grow everywhere, and the pools of fetid water gather algae in the hollows. Fallen logs litter the understory, encrusted with florid, poisonous fungi. Perhaps one of the most prominent features of the domain is the great chasm that stretches in the central west region of Scythicus. It runs for dozens of miles from northwest to southeast 
and was as much as five miles across at its widest point. Some sections were said to be bottomless and fearsome creatures lurked within, some of which came out after the sun set. And it was, in fact, Inza Kolchevik makes her lair within these depths. Despite the danger, some explorers are known to travel there, but very few are known to return. So while on Kryn, the Death Knight was compelled to remember his sins each night in song. However, in Sithicus, he can seal the borders by repeating his dismal ballad. And as he sings, he is joined by the voices of other sinners. The sound rising from the borders is horrid, is so horrid that no mortal can withstand it. All must return to Sithicus or fall hopelessly mad. In Sithicus now, only legend remains of their death knight, Dark Lord. The elven denizens say their kingdom began on a distant world in a land ruled by a human knight, the Black Rose, who waged a war against the gods themselves. The gods struck down the Black Rose, casting him into the misty abyss, and the elves, along with their world, was dragged down along with him. No one knows what became of the Black Rose following the night of screaming shadows. Perhaps he was truly destroyed. Perhaps the dark powers released him, disappointed by his utter surrender to their torment. Or perhaps he was reclaimed by a curse even more powerful than that which held him in Sithicus. I feel like I need the Vincent Price laugh from the thriller video like right then. Um, so there it is, Lord Soth, the Death Knight, and his involvement in the domain of dread, Sithicus. Uh, most of this information came from uh, the two novels, Knight of the Black Rose and Spectre of the Black Rose, as well as the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition Ravenloft campaign setting. Uh, I even cracked open the third edition Sword and Sorcery Ravenloft campaign setting. It's been a little bit since, uh, I don't think, you know, since we covered Ravenloft, I really haven't uh, looked in that one. Uh, if you are interested in hearing more about this topic, the Patron Plus installment for this episode will focus on Azrael Dak and Inza Kolchevik, who respectively became the political ruler and Dark Lord of Sithicus after Lord Soth returned to Kryn. All bonus content involving, uh, including Patron Plus installments, bonus episodes, episodes of D&D Lorecast Presents, where we have conversations with creators of D&D content, plus so much more is available to all scholar-level patrons and up on patreon.com slash Lorecast. Which brings us to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast magic item of the week. I, like most folks, am in full Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 2 Catharsis. You know, those like me want to do nothing much more than just talk about it. And those who aren't fans of the show and haven't watched it want nothing more than for us to shut up about it. Well, I'm not going to discuss the show per se, but this episode's magic item of the week is definitely inspired by it. Edward's plectrum is a small, flat, triangular object that can be used to pluck or strum a stringed instrument. You may know it as a guitar pick. Now, this particular pick is carved from a dark ebony-like stone, which makes it near indestructible. However, despite its sturdiness, it is amazingly lightweight, as light as a feather even. Now, when either using Edward's plectrum to play an instrument 
or even if just having it on you, your character rolls at advantage when making a performance check. When activated, it glows a strange, almost demonic red until the performance is complete. So there you have it, Edward's Plectrum. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. This episode in particular was a lot of fun because it is, if, if I can remember correctly, like I know that I haven't covered any of it. And I don't think um, uh, Tom and Stuart did either. But I think this is the first time that we delved into Dragonlance lore. The Dragonlance realm is definitely something we intend to continue discussing since thanks especially to the works of the Hickmans and Margaret Weiss, there is quite a bit of lore to chew on. Once again, thank you so much for allowing us into your lives for this bit of time. It means so much to us. We would love to hear from you. Uh, our email uh, via email or Twitter or Discord, all of the links are in the show notes. We're not hard to find. You can, if you have something to say to us, uh, we're, we're, we're around. Uh, fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.